So my name is Mark Watts. Um, this is my first opportunity to, to teach in this forum. When Joel asked me to, to teach this morning, I almost immediately uh, jumped to my testimony. Most of you know who I am. Most of you know who my wife is, Elizabeth. She's right here. Um, but because we joined the body here as already baptized believers, we never had the privilege of sharing our testimony um, with you. Um, or at least I have not had that opportunity to share my perspective and my testimony. So when Joel and I spoke later that day about what I should speak on, um, and he suggested, well, your testimony might be good. I decided, yep, that's it. But I want to frame it with some scripture. So if we could turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 24. And it's an appropriate passage for the time of year, but I think it's also instructive in light of my history. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. I hope you will hear um, in the story I will tell you um, the encouragement of the faint-hearted, the helping of the weak, the being patient with them all, um, and keep that in mind in your own lives. As I was sitting down to, to write this, I thought, wow. What a great opportunity to start by saying four score and seven years ago, <laughs> but alas, I'm two years too late. I was born in 1967 um, in Illinois, and when I was seven, my family moved to upstate Wisconsin. Um, where we moved to, not a whole lot to say about it, except it's very small. Um, we were the second largest town in the county with 300 people. Um, and if you go there today, they will, uh, their website proudly proclaims they are the second largest town in the county with 300 people. Um, I have a Bible at home with the text in it. I was saved March 5th, 1979, written in it, which would have made me 11 years old at the time and probably in sixth grade. I had to ask my daughter that, but I don't remember writing those words, but I most certainly rep remember sitting down and praying 
the Lord's Prayer, recognizing I was a sinner in need of a Savior uh, with my mother in front of our couch in the house that we lived in. I confessed my sin and acknowledged my need for Jesus as my Savior. My family attended a small independent Baptist church in town, small in attendance, um, with 300 people, primarily Catholic. Um, The church was very small. Um, But about the time I prayed that prayer, my family moved to an even smaller church. I'm not sure why my parents made that move, but it was a Plymouth Brethren Assembly, not an Assembly of God, but a Plymouth Brethren. Um, The full church, I counted them up, was 20 people when we had 100% attendance. Um, During the winters, which in that part of Wisconsin were very, very cold, I remember minus 40 um, degrees for more than eight weeks at a time. Um, So during those winters, we would meet in either our house or uh, one of the other church members in their house, and we'd rotate through them. I was baptized in 1986 at the age of 19 on a weekend visit home from the University of Wisconsin in Eau Claire, where I was attending college there. I was involved with a local university Christian fellowship and attending a local church there in Eau Claire, uh, which was close to campus. While I was a Christian, I had never been baptized. I had never felt that convicting need to follow in believer's baptism um, until I was in college. But I did. While I was in school, I, in, uh, I spent more time in the Word and became convicted of my need to be baptized. So in late spring in northern Wisconsin, and because our church was so small, we didn't have a baptismal um, in the local river, the Jump River, I was baptized, which was very memorable. Um, for the right reason, it, I was following in obedience the commands to be baptized and acknowledging Jesus as my Savior. And two, it was very cold. <laughs> um, and both of those things are very vivid memories in my mind. So far, that seems like a normal run-of-the-mill story. But let me take you back a few years before then, growing up, and fill in some detail about who I was in high school and middle school. Um, And pardon me if I get a little emotional. Um, This is um, an emotional story for me. My parents had very little money. Um, There were times when when I was growing up that um, I remember not knowing where the food for the next meal was going to come. Um, I remember one time we had no food in the refrigerator, and I found a $20 bill beside the road, and Mom sent me down to the local IGA store to buy supper, and we had food. God always provided for our needs. I saw that faithfulness growing up all the time. It was constantly exhibited in my life and in our family. Food was there, and God was faithful. 
But I also grew up a very introverted young man. I didn't, not having very much money, my folks would um, get clothes at the local um, thrift store. Um, they would often get rugs or, or get fabric clothes from by the bale for 20 bucks from a local thrift store or from a rag place. And that's what I would wear to school, I and my two brothers and sisters. But, of course, that was never, it never really fit in very well with, with the school. Now, granted, in a class of 49 people in a town of 300, the latest trends were still, you know, 10 years behind, but, but there was still the aspect of I didn't fit in. I was not part of the crowd. So um, that did not encourage an outgoing nature, and I kind of withdrew inside myself. Combine that with the fact that I'm sure you remember your own teen years, teenage uh, teenagers are not always the most kind to each other. And I found myself the butt of a number of jokes. I was never bullied. I can't complain about being uh, abused or beaten, but I was, I was the brunt of a great deal of unkind humor. Um, I also did not enjoy sports. I did not enjoy the traditional things that the rest of my class did. Um, so I was the guy who was always left out. I had few friends, not many people there to make friends with, but I did have one very close friend um, who went to the same church that we did. And he, uh, about sixth grade, he made some choices that um, were not wise ones. He chose to go the way of the world and to begin hanging out with uh, a group of people that were making choices that were unbiblical and ungodly and not honoring to God in any way. Um, and um, that hurt. I can remember walking home, my one friend um, crying on my way home from sixth grade because I would was abandoned. Needless to say, um, that did not result in a continuing growth of me as a young man. The social life in that environment was pretty much summed up in, in uh, one sentence. Drunken parties in the woods and sports neither of which I participated in. After graduation, I started college at University of Wisconsin in Eau Claire. It was about an hour from home, um, and I was attending a local church there. I was a Christian. I knew it. I knew it then. I know it now. But I was also not very healthy. Um, and this is where the fruit of that lack of health really starts to bear, to, uh, to become visible. Um, my first girlfriend was in college at the University of Wisconsin. And shortly 
we dated for a couple months and she broke up with me or dumped me. Um, in hindsight, she was right to do so. Um, think back in your own life. The teenager that was a little odd, that couldn't talk to anybody, that couldn't um, relate to anybody, that would uh, throw up at the thought of getting in front of anybody and speaking, um, that everyone looks at a little askance and asks, what's wrong with him? That was me. Um, that was my life until approximately 1987. I remember waking up one morning in the dorm thinking, you know, Jesus loves me, but nobody else does. I'm just going to kill myself and go home. I knew suicide was a sin. Exodus 20.13 says, you shall not murder. I knew that included me. I also remember thinking how incredibly selfish that perspective was and of the pain that it would probably cause my parents. Because, see, at the time, I didn't, while I understood that would probably cause them pain, I didn't really care. I knew it was selfish, but I was in so much pain that that didn't matter. All I could think of, all I knew was Jesus loved me, I loved him, and I didn't want to be anywhere he wasn't. So I'm there sobbing in my dorm room, knowing that my choice, that the choice in front of me, um, should I kill myself or not, was a pretty big one. And I'll tell you, I did not. I, obviously, I didn't kill myself. <laughs> I did not attempt to kill myself. I never went through with that. But over the next 10 years, that was a... Uh, not 10 years. Over the next uh, three years, that was a constant battle back and forth. I reached out for help. I reached out for help to the local pastor and to the advisor for the university group there on campus. Um, but as I'm sure you will understand, um, they were not terribly helpful. I remember sitting in the, uh, in the pastor's chair thinking something to the effect, this is a total waste of time. This man is totally clueless about how to help me. I just need to get out of here because the more I talk, the more he knows how broken I am inside and the more he can hurt me later on. They filled my mind with all sorts of psychobabble, psychology, little scripture. There was some. I don't remember what it was. I just remember this is a waste of time. But at the same time, I knew this was wrong. I should, it's a sin to, to commit suicide. So I just kept going, plodding along with the issues unresolved. I did not see anything in my life to live for. 
wrongly, but that's what I saw. And as a result, I ended up in a deep depression where I simply didn't get out of bed. Of course, while you're in college or life in general, those, that kind of behavior has consequences. Um, in particular, in college, it negatively impacts your grades. Um, by the time I came up and made my decision to withdraw from college, they were on the verge of kicking me out because my GPA was almost as close to zero as you could get. I think it was .06. I just never went to school, went to class. I never never attended tests, didn't do homework, didn't do anything. I did keep reading my Bible, praying and attending church, but inside I was totally at a loss of what to do. The question that was foremost on my mind was, I'm saved, and I knew it. Why am I going through this pain? What is there? Why am I here? And there were, and, and I'll be honest, there were no answers. God was silent. Scripture was silent. And I had no one in my life at the time who could speak the truth in a way that made sense. So I just kept plodding along. Or put a different way, I decided to run away. I ran away to the one place where I thought I would not have to think. I would not have to make any decisions. I would not be responsible for anything at all. And where I wouldn't be any different from anyone else. I joined the army. (laughs) Makes perfect sense, right? It did in my mind. And in one sense, it worked. In basic training, I learned everyone's part of the big green machine. Everyone wears the same uniform. Everyone wears, is on the same schedule. Everyone does the same thing every day, each day. And I thought, awesome. No responsibility. Everyone tells me what to do. And I'm no different from everybody else. I've got, I had struggles. Basic training was tough. I was still broken. And there were struggles. I remember in basic training going to, to uh, the, the service on a Sunday morning and crying my way through service in basic training. But it was physically demanding, and I didn't have to think. For the next couple of years, again, I kind of, I was just on that autopilot of the, that the Army sent me on. I kept reading the Bible. I I can't reiterate enough. I was saved. I know I was saved. And I saw God's faithfulness in my life, but not his answers to this problem. So I was diligent to find a good church wherever I was stationed, or as good a one as I could find, um, and sat under the teaching of the word when I had opportunity to go. But nothing had changed. When I read passages <clears throat> like um, like Jeremiah 20, verses 14 to 15, Cursed be the day on which I was born. The day, on, the day when my mother bore me, let it not be blessed. 
Cursed be the man who brought me the news to my father. A son is born to you, making him very glad. That was me. I can remember hearing that taught and hearing that quoted and saying, yeah, that's me. Or Psalm, one thir- one, uh, Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Likewise in verse 5, but I have trusted in your steadfast love, and that's where I stopped. Because I had no opportunity to rejoice in my salvation, which is the next phrase in that verse. And in, in uh, verse 6, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. That was not me. I could not sympathize with that. I was with the first part of David, but not, not the, the second part. So I was posted to a unit in Germany that was about three kilometers from the East German border. I actually have a piece of the East German wall, the Iron Curtain at home. Um, so the day I got to the unit, I was told two things, neither of which bothered me. Um, number one, in the event of a war, my unit was, was predicted to have 100% casualty within 15 minutes. We were the Russian speed bumps. We were there for the sole purpose of slowing down the Russian armor 15 minutes. And we were told, you'll all be dead in, 10, in 15 minutes. And I was good with that. Keep in mind where I was coming from. I was like, wow, awesome. I actually get to go home and I don't have to commit suicide. And two, students were tearing down the Berlin Wall in Berlin the day before I got, got to my unit. So over the next several months... Keep in mind the time and those, those, that environment was a, was a tension-filled time in Germany. East and West was always, um, there was always something going on. And several times during the next several months, we would get waken up, or woken up, sorry, in, uh, at 4 a.m. in the morning, and we'd go out on alert. And a couple times we knew we were going to war because... They told us, the Germans are moving tanks. The Russians are moving tanks. What we didn't know at the time was they were moving them back. They were retreating. Um, But I can remember even then thinking, awesome. By the end of the day, I'll be dead. And I was good with that. So here comes the next crisis. See, one of the reasons I was in the army, remember I had run away to the army so that I would not have to participate in life and actually make decisions, um, give my testimony, um, actually be an adult. Well, there was one problem. I was actually good at my job in the army and the leadership noticed that. That was a problem. (laughs) See, when they noticed, they said, oh, we're going to send you off to this school. 
It's called PLDC, Primary Leadership Development Course. We're going to teach you to be a leader. We're going to teach you how to make decisions, and we're going to teach you how to lead men in battle, and we're going to we're going to teach you how to speak in front of and give you know training courses and and all of those things that I knew I was not good at, that I had never done, that I knew I could not do, and that I knew I would fail if I was ever put in those positions. Above and beyond that, they said, you know, but there's a catch. <clears throat> because this is a leadership course in a military organization, um, we want to make sure that you're mentally sound. So basic training was all about physical stress. PLDC, it's all about mental stress. We're going to try and break you. We're going to put you, we're going to sleep deprive you. We're going to put you under all sorts of conflict. We're going to get you engaged in, in interpersonal conflict with your teachers, with each other. And it's all going to be done on two hours of sleep a day. And I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified because I knew that I would be found out that they would realize he can't cut it. He doesn't have what it takes. He's, he's broken. And I knew that because they told me. Only I didn't have the option of running this time. Remember? I was in the Army. So I was there, and they were actually ordering me, actually cut orders, this is where you'll go, and this is the course that you'll go in. And you can't actually turn it down. Um, so I didn't have any choice. So my crisis came one Saturday morning. We generally uh, did PT in, um, by platoon, by unit. Except this Saturday morning, the Saturday before I was supposed to go off to this course, my company commander said, we're going to go on a, on a run. It's a company run. We're all going to run seven miles, which was the last time I ran seven miles, by the way. But. <laughs> um, so we're out at, in, a, in a company run, um, the seven miles long. And because we're running as a company, I was running with Eric Potter. Eric Potter was the supply specialist, which meant, just meant... He was in charge of the, the supply room for the unit. And he also attended the same church I was going to in, in Fulda, Germany. Uh, the church was led by a, a missionary, two service members. It was targeted at American service members. It was an independent Baptist missionary, and we had probably 15 or 20 people attending. Um, this is the largest assembly I've ever been a part of. Um, and Eric Potter was also a Christian, and he, like me, everyone knew it. We didn't drink, we didn't smoke, we didn't go out and do all the other things that military men tend to do. Um, but I didn't have much interaction with him outside of church, so we weren't really close. He was also married. He lived off post with his wife. 
and I was in the billets. But that day, he was running next to me, gasping, staggering along, running a little bit. And I um, had the courage to say something to the effect, I'm not sure I can do PLDC. I just don't know if I can do it. And I'll remember Eric's reply to me to the day I die. It wasn't scripture, but what he said was, Mark, you know that God sometimes puts us in impossible positions just so we realize we can't do it, not without him. And I stand before you, the man I am today, because between between one step and the next, God transformed my mind. The person I am today and the person I was that step before in my mind are totally different. I realized I was not in control. God was. That I could only do it with his strength and I knew I could trust him even if I failed. All of a sudden it didn't matter if I passed or failed or if they found out who I was at PLDC. Didn't matter. I only had one thing I needed to do. Trust God. I don't know what he changed. I don't know why he waited all those years to change it. But I know he did. And I know that after my foot hit that ground, I can remember the joy and remember the freedom. And all of a sudden, I could sing to the Lord because he had dealt bountifully with me. Over the years, as I've told this story on, a, on several occasions, I've been asked, was, I, was that the day that I was really saved? No. I don't know why he chose the way he did to sanctify me across those years in time. I know I repented of my sin and confessed my need for a Savior back on that couch in 1979. I also know that I did not see the joy and did not understand and was not, did not see my mind transformed until that day on that seven-mile run, literally, between one step and the next. That change... was um, took me from somebody that could not make decisions, that wanted to die, that was basically unable to relate in any meaningful way to anybody, um, and fixed what was wrong. Made me somebody who was able to function in society, who was able to relate to people 
and more importantly, was able to relate to my Savior. And I know 100% that there was absolutely nothing that I did that had any part in that. God did it. He alone did it. And He alone gets the glory for it. To Him be the praise and the glory. I, I did graduate PLDC. Um, surprisingly enough, God humbled me. I remember going, and um, it was not fearful, but in my fallen nature, I got a little overconfident. Um, it's amazing how quickly that happens. And I forgot my glasses. They had given me orders, bring everything the United States government has given you. All of it. Which I did, except for my glasses, because I never wear my glasses except for reading, which I'm actually not wearing them now because the print is really big. Um, but I forgot my glasses, and they almost sent me home because I forgot my glasses. Um, they were gracious. They did not, although I spent 10 minutes with a sergeant yelling in my face um, because of it. The start of that mental stress, remember? Um, but I was able to graduate PLDC, and over the next several years, um, continued to grow and understand more about the joy of the Lord. Um, I eventually left the army. There was I was part of the Gulf War and did a number of other things that ultimately is not really important for the testimony, but. Um, after I left the Army and decided to return to college and uh, enrolled in Liberty University. Um, they allowed me to enroll under academic probation. Remember, my GPA from back there was .06. So they said, We're, you know, we'll let you in, but you got to do well. So... Um, sin has its consequences. Don't forget it. It was while I was attending Liberty that I met Elizabeth. I walked in the Sunday morning, first Sunday I was in in town, and uh, into the singles Bible class, or Bible Sunday school at Thomas Road Baptist Church, and I introduced myself to the class. And Elizabeth came in a few minutes late and reintroduced me to the to the class again, <laughs> um, and that was that was my introduction. We dated four months. After which I asked her to marry me, after asking her parents if that, if they were good with that. Um, which, by the way, my mother-in-law is in the in the class this morning. She's she's here. Um, and 14 months later, we were married in 1994. Now, it might be, one might think, oh, wow, after that, you know, everything's good. Everything's not good. 
I was hired. We'd been married for just uh, over one year, and I accepted a job offer in Rome, Georgia. We moved down from Virginia, and I began work as a software developer, and Elizabeth found work at the same company writing software documentation. Because we were in a seasonal business, during the busy season, she was transferred over to customer service, which she did not enjoy, or perhaps more accurately, she hated. Um, so we both found ourselves working 14-hour days, five days a week, um, and sometimes on Saturday mornings. So 60, 70-hour weeks. To add to the, to the challenge that that put on our marriage and, and us individually, we attended quite a number of churches in Rome and were not able to find a church family to call ours. We would go to all the services for several months. Um, we were diligent in, in seeking out people to interact with. Um, but for whatever reason, we were not able to find a home, a family that would wrap our arm, their arms around us and say, you're part of us. We call that period the next five years kind of our spiritual desert because... I can remember waking up on Sunday morning and looking at Elizabeth and saying, you know, there's no reason to go to church except Hebrews 10.25. Let us consider... I can't read my this. Consider, basically, forsake not the assembly together of yourself. That was the only reason... We had to go to church. We also saw the loss of two babies in pregnancy. And I was oblivious to the signs that Elizabeth was slipping into her own depression. By the time I realized it, she was so deep in her own depression um, that it took two, two and a half years to work through I can remember basically thinking of myself as a widower, almost, because Elizabeth was um, so deep in, in her own depression that um, aside from living together, the relationship of a marriage was, was um, very challenging. Elizabeth knows she read this. She understands what um, what I was going to say, and she can is will and is willing to go into details if you have questions. But suffice it to say that um, while I could relate to her, I could really do nothing more than stand by her, which I didn't do very well because I was working so many hours that she was for the most part. On her own. I didn't realize the damage that I was causing my wife in that process. In 1999, believe it or not, my job started to get even more demanding. Most weeks found me working 80 hours, and from July of 99 through the end of the year, by the end of the year, I was putting in 90 hours. 
Elizabeth was now pregnant with Rachel, and in March of, and April of 2000, I peaked out <clears throat> at 120 hours and seven days. Yes, 17 hours per day, actually laboring at work. Um, Elizabeth had gone to see her parents in New York. I wasn't around. What was the point? Um, and I had stayed to work. Elizabeth needed to come home earlier because I was in the midst of another breakdown. Lack of sleep, overwork, stress. I was in tears and, and on the verge of a nervous breakdown. I was no longer in that place that I thought I wanted to kill myself. That was years behind me. But I had not yet come to understand what Joel was talking about, that we men sometimes have this need for affirmation. Last week, if you were here, well, I was getting my affirmation from work. I was trying to be faithful in my work. And in the doing of that, I was totally ignoring God and my wife and my family. So in April of 2000, we decided we knew that couldn't continue. We knew, knew some balance needed to be restored, and we needed to find a good godly church that we could join. So we made a decision to move to New York without a job lined up because we knew of a good church that was godly that we could join. We had family there, and I needed to get away from work. God was gracious. Um, he provided a job through, actually, that current employer, but in a different role that didn't require that level of engagement and level of hours as a contractor. And so for the next 12 years... We found ourselves wrapped in a church that was not elder-led, was not, did not do expository preaching, but they knew how to love. They knew how to love us, and they taught us how to love them. And we were with family, and God provided a means to earn. And for the next about six years, um, we healed. We grew, we grew spiritually, we grew emotionally, we grew um, in the knowledge of the Lord, and we learned how to love in a, in a body of believers. It was also during this time that there was a controversy between Liberty University debate team and a man that you might recognize, James White. <clears throat> James White was supposed to debate there. And there was a bit of a dust-up between Liberty and the debate. And I took Liberty's side, but I said, you know, I need to find out what this is all about. And uh, as part of that process, I ended up reading a book called The Potter's Freedom. And thus started our journey um, down the road of understanding the doctrines of grace. You know, which in hindsight, is nothing more than the same question that I thought had been answered in that seven-mile run, who's in control? 
But this time, and, and it was, it was the same question that was answered, but this time it was answered in our lives in a much more theologically rigorous manner. Who's in control? God or me? Of course, we all understand the answer is God, not me. But until that time and until that process began, um, we had not had the opportunity to walk through that in a theologically rigorous manner. And now we did. I soon found myself devouring books by Dr. White, um, someone called John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, and of course the Bible. I also found myself wanting preaching that was more expository in nature and a church leadership that was elder-led. The Bible was coming alive to me in ways that it never had before, and we were growing as a family. As head of the family, I wanted our local body to be more than what it was. As Elizabeth and I started digging into Scripture, trying to answer those questions, God again proved his sovereignty and the fact that he was in control. 2011 became a year of change when my mother died unexpectedly. My widowed father, who lived in the Susquehanna River, experienced the second of two 500-year floods um, that resulted in water three feet up his first floor. And it was also at this time that my employer offered me a change in position, one that came with a condition. It would require us to move back to Georgia, which, of course, was not the best of memories in our mind. Remember, our five years in Rome was our spiritual desert. Elizabeth's depression, my overwork, to the tune to, to a crazy degree. Above and beyond that, we now had an 11-year-old and 9-year-old daughter who would, leave to, who would need to leave friends that they had grown up with since they were in nursery, that they were attending school with. We'd need to leave family. We had family that we loved still there in, in New York. And to add on top of that, I was afraid what if I move back and I start working 100 hours a week again? But we also knew that there was an opportunity if we made that move that we would be able to find a home in a church that we desired. Expository preaching, a love of the word, and each other all under a biblical leadership. God had also moved Phil, my brother-in-law, back to the Atlanta area shortly before that decision came. So we knew that we would be leaving family and moving to family. So we stepped out in faith. And we knew that that first year back would be a rough one, and it was. The first Sunday back in Georgia found us here at FCC, where we liked the teaching, the music, and the people, but honestly... It's a very different body from what we were used to. So we felt a little lot like fish out of water. We tried another church in the area and ultimately came back to faith, but almost did not stay. I want to be very gracious and 
careful, but also honest and truthful. At the time, we found ourselves having to work very hard to talk to people after service in the old, in the old <coughs> building. The girls were having trouble getting engaged in Sunday school, and they indicated they did not at all feel like they were welcome. I know that's not the case, but that was their perception. So, in 2012, I remember one drive on the way to this body, um, we took that to the Lord and said, Lord, would you please open this body's, the, the hearts of this body to us today and make it evident that this is where you would have us to be present. He did. That day, I think just about every person in the building tried to talk with us. And that day, unprompted, the girls came back from Sunday school and said, that's awesome. They were engaged. Their teacher asked them questions. They made, started making friends. FCC was our new home, our new church family. Running out of time, I started out in 1 Thessalonians 5, 25, 12 through 24. And I want to take us back there. Last week, Joel was talking about um, the different needs of men and women. Please don't, please understand, last week, Elizabeth and I were sitting, I think, right about where she is now, looking at each other and laughing, because for those of you that were here, Joel told a story about the hopeless guy who, um, after his wife tells her she's going out to get her hair cut, fails to notice the fact that she got her hair cut, well... Last weekend, it wasn't Elizabeth's hair, it was her glasses. <laughs> she went out, she told me, I'm going to get my new glasses. And the next day, she had to come up to me and say, do you like my new glasses? <laughs> and I was like, ugh. I tell that story to say, this is a journey. This is... God is still sanctifying me. He's sanctifying us. And the challenges that we face today, small in glasses, although in some cases that can be a significant issue in a marriage, or dealing with the consequences of emotional and mental unhealthiness, ultimately all comes down to two questions really, in my mind, that that I've come to learn. What is our understanding of who God is? And what is our understanding of who we are? Do we understand Him as the sovereign God, seen and revealed most fully in Jesus the Savior, who died on the cross for our sins, for my sins, that I might have that that I might be redeemed 
and have a relationship with God. And do I understand that lacking that, I am, that we're dead. I'm dead. I am lost. And only through him might I be, can I be saved. The, 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 the um, salvation message. I, I prayed that prayer in 79. I knew I was saved. But I didn't understand the fact that as a believer, I still needed the salvation message every single day of my life. From then all the way through now. And it took those years of wanting to kill myself, those years of spiritual drought, those years of overwork for God to pound it through my thick skull that I need that message every single day as a believer. And it's because of that that 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 24 I can give thanks. I can say, I can stand before you and thank God that I went through all of those things. That I can say, He is faithful. I would encourage you, I would take the opportunity, I hope that you having this heard this story that it might be an encouragement to you he is faithful i know some of you have your own stories some perhaps even more dramatic never fail never forget that god is faithful never stop on a daily basis asking the question who is god as seen in Jesus, and who am I? And never let those get out of balance. When those, when those are out of balance, we make choices poorly. When they're in balance, there's only one response we can have. Praise be to God. Thank you.